We are privileged to welcome Dr. Walter Kaiser, Jr. as our speaker of Christian Life Emphasis Week. Dr. Kaiser is a prolific writer and a gifted communicator and a renowned scholar. He's a graduate of Wheaton College and Wheaton Graduate School. He has earned a doctoral degree from Brandeis University. He taught for many years at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, also served there as vice president and academic dean, taught for uh, four years at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary before adding to his teaching responsibilities, becoming the president of Gordon-Conwell, and he served in that role for nine years. And he has retired from the presidency but remains president emeritus and distinguished professor of Old Testament and ethics. In addition to his full schedule of speaking, he continues to write, having published more than 300 articles and authored or edited more than 50 books, including Toward an Old Testament Theology, which has been translated into Portuguese, Korean, Chinese, Spanish, and Indonesian, Hard Sayings of the Old Testament, which has been translated into Finnish, Korean, Indonesian, and Chinese, and Revive Us Again, uh, from which uh, the sermons he'll be sharing with us is taken. Uh, The campus store has some copies of the book Revive Us Again, and uh, those are available to you if you're interested in uh, getting expanded uh, ideas about some of the sermons he'll be speaking to us about this week. When Dr. Kaiser is not traveling and speaking, he can be found at his farm in Wisconsin. He's an avid gardener. He enjoys uh, being on the tractor and working on the farm. Margaret, his wife of more than 50 years, is an accomplished painter. And together they share their home with two of their children, their son-in-law, and five of their grandchildren. And uh, they said that they, to add to the excitement of the farm, they, they love watching their daughter and son-in-law and granddaughters raise llamas on their farm. And I think he told me they have about 32 of them now. Uh, so that's part of their, their life as well. I've been blessed to read, to study, to learn from Dr. Kaiser, and I'm so excited about him having him here, his ministry to us. And we are praying that through the power of the Holy Spirit that uh, God will speak to us through him in these days ahead. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. 
Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is the word of the Lord. We have the opportunity now to pray. And I invite you to, uh, if you'd like, to use the altar as your place of prayer and to join me there. Gracious Father, we've come to you today in this moment of prayer to give you thanks for who you are, for what you've done, what you promised to do. We thank you for your spirit that moves among us and leads us into your presence, reminding us of your love and mercy and grace. Reminding us of your call to come and to pour out our hearts as children to a loving Father. Father, as we come today in this moment of prayer, we recognize how often, even just this week, how often we've fallen short of your dreams and your desires and your calling upon our lives. We ask, Father, that you will forgive us. Forgive us when we, like people through the ages, are more concerned with prestige and power than anything else. That we are people who are continually elbowing our way to the top, looking for those highest places of honor, wanting to be recognized as just a cut above others, wanting to engage in in the game of competition, in order to beat out others. Father, like people through the ages, we are so concerned about recognition. Even though your Son, in humility, came among us and gave his life. Forgive us, Father. Give us a new perspective on what is important in life. 
Father, we pray that you will help us in our relationships to see our neighbors, whoever that may be, as people to be loved and affirmed instead of people with whom we're in competition and to be beaten. Father, teach us the way of humility, the way of Christ. Father, we pray for those among us who today are are feeling the grief and the pain of death and loss. Comfort them. We pray for those who are struggling with illness and all the other things that come to us in this physical world. And we pray that your healing power would be at work in ways that we could have never imagined. We pray for this world in which we live. And we ask specifically that you will pour out your spirit on the leaders of the nations of the world, including our nation. That these leaders would have a heart for truth and for justice and for mercy. For the things of your heart. It's going to take a miracle for that to happen. But we believe you're in the business of miracles. Make it so. Make it so, Father. We pray, Lord, for, for the leaders of, of our district of churches. And in this, in this important time of choosing a new leader, give us wisdom and understanding and discernment for the person you desire to lead us. And Father, as we embark on this this week of special services, and on into this new academic year, pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit on your servant who's come to speak to us. Pour out your Spirit on us that we might hear and respond in obedience. Father, for every burden on our hearts today, for every need of our lives, may we see you as the God of grace and mercy and miracles. And we offer our prayers in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, our coming King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Please stand for the reading of the gospel and remain standing for the hymn that follows. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. 
Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. It's a privilege to be with you this day and to share God's word out of the book of Haggai. I'm calling the message a time to renew the work of God. This chapter is generally used whenever there is a new building program in the church and an attempt to build a new sanctuary or Christian aid building. But this is rather symptomatic of the whole call of God for any and all parts of his work to be renewed. It was the post-exilic, or in the post-exilic times, when indeed Israel had returned, they had been let go back by Cyrus the Great. They came back in 536, 537, and immediately they had put their hands to rebuilding the house of God. How can you have a people of God and a people of book without the house of God? And so they laid the foundation, the footers. And as they did, Ezra tells us in chapter 3, 4, and 5, how that the young people were just hilariously glad. They rejoiced to see the foundations being laid. But indeed, there were the oldsters, and they were very disappointed. They said, I told you we shouldn't build. It wasn't time yet. Relations have not been normalized with the Medo-Persians. We are just out of Babylonian captivity, and the shekel is not where it should be. And look how small this is. This is really rinky-dink. And so they actually had an effect upon each other. The older folks complaining, young folks rejoicing. So that you couldn't tell what was going on until finally they said, forget it. And they did. For 16 solid years, they didn't do a thing. But God in heaven watched over the whole process. And he called to them and sent two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Whenever God begins to do something in the world, just like today, he sends teachers of his word. The only problem is it's hard to get the teaching of his word. And sometimes there is so much talk about God's word that we just don't set it free sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph. But I want you to know there's not room for despondency. The despondency is in a few churches in the West it's in Western Europe, it's in Canada, and in the United States. But meanwhile, in the two-thirds world, particularly among the Islamic peoples, there takes a, there's taking place a great turning to the Savior as we've never seen before. Some guesstimates in the last five years, two million Islamic peoples have turned because of a vision of Jesus and they go searching for who this person was that appeared to them in their dreams, and they finally find the Gospels, and they're accepting the Lord by droves in 20-some major Islamic countries. But meanwhile, 
there is a great drought. A great drought in the West where the gospel was first planted so bountifully in Europe and so bountifully in Canada and in the United States. Therefore, it's time, it's long past time to renew the work of God even in the United States and Canada and in Western Europe. Eastern Europe turned in 1989. There, the long drought from the fall of the Bastille in July 1789 to December 1889. 200 years of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and humanism in general came down like the walls of Berlin. On that famous Christmas Eve, there the Ceausescu's were murdered. And for the first time in Romania, in 40 years, they played Christmas carols and Christmas hymns on the radio and on TV. It had not been played for 40 years. But the whole of 200 years, as far as the Eastern Europeans were concerned, they said, we went to your universities, we sat still, we listened to your philosophies, and we stayed in our seats and took the train all the way to the end, and we're telling you, it's disaster. We've been there. We know what your secular education leads to. And we know where you're headed. Yes, even Christian colleges need once again to get with it. Uh, We say the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Yes, so what's all the talk in evangelical Christianity about theistic evolution, which is not theistic, it's deistic. God wound the thing up and let it go until he saw, I guess, one of the primates jumping along and pushed a soul in it, uh, maybe a chimpanzee, and it straightened up and shaved and said, me, Adam. But at any rate... uh, So much as that would be, God calls us this day. Here in this text, after 16 long years of not having the house of God, he sent Haggai, and it was in the second year of King Darius, and on the first day of the sixth month, it was new moon. It was a holiday. It was one of those special days in the calendar of believers. On our calendar, we know it exactly. It's August 29th, 520 BC. And there God spoke through Haggai to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, who is the placeholder for the Messiah who is to come for this grandson of Jehoiachin. Yes, he's called the governor because now they have no longer the kingship. It's in that disgrace that has come because of the sin of the people. And to Joshua, the high priest, and what was it that the Lord, who identifies himself as the Lord of hosts? I was raised on King James, so... I'm bilingual. But at any rate, uh, it was called uh, the Lord of uh, hosts. And uh, yes, he is the God of the 
hosts the armies of heaven and earth. He controls all of them. What was it that he said? He had an announcement to make here. And we're to find here the first way in which God calls us to renew his work. And that first way is coming verses 1 through 4. He said, these people say. These people say the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be built. And the response of God was in verse 4, which is our pivot verse. It's our sort of focal point of the whole passage. The Lord said, well, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled homes? Now, this is not an occasion for a message against materialism. That's too easy. Uh, Mark, and anyway, that's not the point. He said, his point is simply this. If you're saying God's house can't be built, How is it that you yourselves have been able to build your homes, which are nice? We don't know how to translate that word paneled or wainscoted, uh, whatever that is, but it's nice, whatever it is. And they were able to make it nice. And there's nothing wrong with nice and creativity, but not at the expense of putting God in second class. God knows that when we put him in second class, we put our stuff first and then his stuff. So he says, is it time? And anyway, the word time is only a circumlocution. That was, they probably pointed to heaven and said, "Uh, it's not time. It's not time. And the distance between the Lord and his people begins here because he said, these people say, these people say, or in King James, this people say. Yes, uh, there was those, them, the distance there. Not like it generally is, my people, even under the most adverse circumstances. But God now senses the distance, and he begins to say, we've got to refuse to make excuses. This is excuse-making. Time, they said, time. It was the Medo-Persians. It was the shekel. It was uh, something about architecture. It was something else. And, and on and on it went. But he said, uh, it's your hearts, folks. And we need a change. We need to change. That's the great call that God is giving here. So uh, uh, this momentous announcement is followed by that complaint that, It wasn't time, God said. Did you say it's not time? Then how is it that you have managed in your own homes? No problem with that, but that sort of takes away the excuse about time, doesn't it? And that's my whole point here. You're mentioning time. It's just a pretext. It's a pretext for laziness. And... It's bad enough to neglect God's work, but it's worse still to say, it's time, it's God. When God wants to build his church, he'll build the church with any of our help. When God wants to win the heathen, he'll win the heathen without any of our help. That's what they told to William Carey, too, 1792, as he tried to initiate the modern movement of missions and and anyway, they had a verse for it, the very verse that Carrie was trying to use, the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and uh, preach the gospel and, and disciple all nations. And they said, see that? That word was addressed to the 12 disciples. That's not us. So don't preach that word to us. 
Carey answered back, he said, that's interesting because those apostles must still be living. He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Uh, if you don't get the point there, that was a yeah, yeah. Uh, take that. Uh, uh, it can't be. The very fact that the Lord stretched that out for all time is to say it appeals to all men and to all women. So, no excuses. No excuses. Our God is calling for men and women to step forward and to say, Lord God, change me. Change me. That's the call of 16 revivals that are in the Bible, with the controlled verse probably being Second Chronicles 7.14. Oh, yes, if my people, says King James, which are called by my name. And some said to me, yeah, but it says my people. Who are God's people in the Old Testament? It's Israel. So, let's go on to the New Testament. But no, no, wait a minute. There's a comma. It said, if my people, comma, which are called by my name, comma. little apposition, they call that. That explains my people. That says literally, over whom I've called my name. God uses that name in both Old and New Testament. All who believe in him have God's ownership. He calls his name. Owned by the Lord. <laughs> the Lord knows us. He does not have to look us up in Facebook. He knows us already. And so we don't need to go to Facebook. And that will save a lot of Twitter. But at any rate, uh, there is the call and the theme that God has given. And uh, a second uh, way that God calls us to renew his work is found in verses 5 through 6. And that's set priorities. We need to set priorities. Now, this is what the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the God of all the armies of the angelic host, millions upon millions. Oh, no, I've learned a new word now. Trillions upon trillions there uh, of angels and all in heaven and earth. And he says, give careful thought to your ways. I'm grandfather now, and we have five of my daughter's five children, and her husband live with us. So we are like Yogi Bear, that great Greek philosopher who played catcher for the Yankees. He said deja vu all over again. Uh, and uh, so I'm going back and learning Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh says regularly, think, think, think. That's what it says here. Give careful thought. Think, think, think. He says it four times in this book. Are you thinking at all? He said, you're planting much. Have you noticed that? And the harvest, have you noticed it? People in Russia, are you aware? One-fourth of the crop of wheat and the grains are gone because of drought. Do you think that's a mistake? Do you think I in heaven's an old dear, dear? That's something I hadn't planned on. Or what about the fires in Russia? Not at all. God loves the people of Russia. He's calling. God loves the people in America too. That's why he's calling us, calling us through the employment, trying to call us through the economy, trying to call us through politics, trying to call us through the events of our day. And he said, uh, are you eating more and drinking more 
and still feeling hungry and thirsty? Are you putting on clothes and you still don't feel warm? Are you earning wages only to put them into a purse with holds? You say, don't get personal. I'm not. The text is. And it's the text that is getting personal. But he said, have you noticed that? You make more money now and you have less to spend. Now, how is that? Lord said, I was hoping you would notice. I was hoping you would notice because I wanted to talk to you through my word. But you say, oh, words, words, words. We go to church now, word from our pastor. And then you turn on TV now, word from our sponsor. The same thing on the car radio. You can't get away from it. But God's words are different than all the other words. His word has his power and his authority and guarantee behind it. And he is trying to say here that his work comes before our work. And his way comes before our way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Remember King James, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So... The religious condition of our hearts can be seen in our attitude. And neglect of God's house is only symptomatic. It says that there is treason. You say, treason? That's an awful claim. Why say treason? I'll tell you why. Because to call him Lord, to say, he is my king, and then not do what he says is not to acknowledge him as king. And disobedience is a form of treason against the high and holy God of heaven. So, what's the point? There can be seen the finger of God even in the events of life. The events of life, said T.V. Moore, the old Puritan commentator, he said they are like hieroglyphics, Egyptian picture writing, in which God records his feelings toward us, the key to which can be found in the Bible. And so when man fell in the Garden of Eden, the dirt got into trouble. And when we get into sin, the dirt gets into more trouble. So much so that Romans 8 verse 22, 20 through 22 says, The whole creation groans and travail, waiting for the redemption that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The dirt, the sky, and the waters, and the seas cry out, How long, O Lord? But whenever there comes revival, whenever God's men and women start taking him seriously, then God turns around and brings substantial relief, which is symptomatic of what will come in that final day that can come even right now. You say, how? Well, just by appetites, even by the habit of Reading through God's Word, I tried to get 2,200 seminarians and also 75 faculty and 33 board members to read through the Bible with me. Then I thought, wait a minute, my own kids, I got four children. Uh, We have three boys and one bit of sweetness. And uh, then uh, three of them are married and we have seven grandchildren About five of them are readers now. I said, okay, any of our family that reads through the Bible, 
with your parents or your grandparents this year. Uh, at Christmas time, I'll give you a check for $500. It's killing me, but uh, <laughs> they're doing it. You put your money where your values are. And kids are putting it into their college fund. But nevertheless, it still is a great thing to have grandkids say, what's this mean? I was reading this and our conversation becomes about the wonderful word of God. Our Lord taught from Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, men and women don't live by bread alone. They don't live by their degrees alone. They don't live by accolades that come along. They, nor by their grandchildren. They live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how you really live. You say, I'm really living. Mm, you reading God's word? Then excuse me, but if I can use bad grammar, you ain't. You ain't living until you get in God's word. This is not for a guilt trip. This is for life. We're talking about real vitamins. You're exercising to death. All right, then why not read and read God's word? So setting our priorities. uh, What a third way, and that is by getting involved in verses 7 through 12. Again, he says, give careful thought, think, think, think. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so I may take pleasure and be honored. What's the point of getting involved? To bring honor and happiness to our Lord. Is he pleased? More than pleased. When God's men and women respond beautifully, it brings praises to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But you say, why did they have to go up to the mountains and cut down more wood? I thought Cyrus gave them enough when they left. 16 years ago, he did. He gave enough wood, enough stone. Where did it all go? I don't know. Except I worked my way through seminary and college on construction jobs. And a lot of it had a way of wandering off the job at night. And I suspect that's what took place here. They wandered off the job. We had one who had a gate on the front of the place. And every night a man went out with a wheelbarrow full of sawdust. And the watchman said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Went all through the sawdust. said, what do you have there? said, sawdust. All right, go ahead. And finally, after 30 nights, well, at least for the full month, uh, he said the final night of the job, he said, look, I can't do anything. You were taking something. What was it? He said, wheelbarrows. Uh, and uh, that's what he was uh, carrying out every night. Yeah, And they carried out that timber, those stones, and they built these beautiful homes off of what had been set aside for God. And so the Lord said, what you brought home was little, and I blew it away. Why did God blow it away? He says, Why? He said, because of my house, which is a ruin, uses the Hebrew word there, Horeb, which same word for Mount Sinai, Horeb, H-O-R-E-B, which means a ruin, a desolate, a dry place. And the Lord said, okay, to help you get the point, I've called for a Horeb on your crops, on the work of your hands. Did you notice that? 
Yeah, I did. Forty-five <laughs> percent to retirement. Bye bye, bye bye. A, a ruin, a ruin. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on grain, on new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Does God love us that much? Yes. He's trying to get through. Fellow Americans, God loves America. But America needs to love God. And God is calling for hearts that understand their cost of disobedience. There's shortages in materials, shortages in goods, shortages in wages. Oh, yeah. But the beauty of obedience is that when people obey God, like verse 12, there are a few verses like this in the Bible. Then Zerubbabel's son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed. Well, <laughs> we sing trust and obey, for there ain't no other way. And there still, there still isn't. There still isn't any other. Trust first, and then obey. If you'd fully trust me, then why don't you do what I say? And all the people feared the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of life, it's the beginning of everything. Because the fear of the Lord doesn't mean being scared of Him. Matter of fact, Exodus twenty twenty, fear not, only fear the Lord. Same word. Fear not. Don't be scared. But rather put an attitude of trust and belief in Him that evidence itself in obedience. Walking in obedience today. God calls for that. Well, one more way. We're over time. Most of you are deeply in prayer. We'll finish. So here comes the answer to your prayers. It is the fourth way, and that is in verses 13 and 15, by receiving God's name. Would you believe it, that this is in the Old Testament? It's grace. It is God's free gift. For he says, verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's servant, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. God promises the strong Son of God to stand right alongside of every man and woman, boy and girl, who dares to walk with their Savior. And he does. He doesn't mean it in general. He doesn't mean I'm, by and large, behind you, with you, like we say to each other. He means actually really there. And he stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirs up the spirit of Joshua, stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. It's great when a whole college, when a whole church, when a whole community, when a whole state, when a whole nation says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua so they came and began the work on the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day. This began August 29th, 520. This is September 22nd, 520. Would you believe it? That's good preaching. But that's a great Savior, too, who stirs up and revives men and women. Let's look some conclusions because we must 
bind us and say, so what? What are we going to do about it? Well, first of all, we've got to stop making excuses. They're what they are, excuses. And they're rationalizations. Look at how much God has given to us. Therefore, what sort of a people should we be? After all, he's done for me. We used to sing in youth group. After all, he's done for me. How can I do less than give him my best? After all, he's done for me. And we must ask God to put a whole new right spirit within us and stop giving God the leftovers, the scraps of our time and talents. He ought to have number one. There ought not to be a vacancy in the work of God, in the house of God, and in the whole ministry of our Heavenly Father to a community. Never. Not with people who have been redeemed like we have at such exorbitant rates. The life and the blood of the Son of God. Therefore, we must turn to God in full repentance and confident that he will stir up within us a whole new gold, a whole new set, a mark by which to run. And that mark has to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You ought to see it. You ought to see that day when we see him face to face. I tell you, all the big hoopla days that we think we've had up to that point are just peanuts compared to the majesty of his person and the splendor of what he is and will be his kids. Sort of coming in, talk about name dropping. <laughs> talking to my father yesterday. What father? <laughs> One that owns the whole place. Yeah, that's my father. And that's your father too. Can you hear his call? Is the Holy Spirit prompting within you and saying, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That's where I began in the Lord Jesus. So as we began with him, so continue. We began by faith, so walk, so live in him. A faith that works by love. Galatians 5. And that's what God is calling us to this day. You say, you don't even know us. Why are you talking so bluntly to us? Are you Dutch? No. But uh, on the other hand, I live in a Dutch community. They have bumper stickers. He ain't Dutch. He ain't much. Uh, and, uh, but nevertheless, regardless of any kind of ethnic background here, it's a heavenly father that dares to talk to us because he loves us desperately. I have the joy of asking myself and asking you, do we need a change? If so, are you willing? Will you do so? Because in your hands, in my hands, we could be that 10 that could be our nation's keepers. God is still looking for a few good men and a few good women. It's revival time. Revive us again. Oh, God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, to you we now give praise and honor and glory. We've heard your word. 
It's so clear we wish at points it was a little bit more puzzling. But there it is. Now what can we do? Unless it is for your grace, unless it is for your help, unless it is that you come by your Holy Spirit and you stand alongside of us and you stir us up. Now stir up Houghton College. Stir up Houghton Wesley Church, I pray. Stir up this town, we pray. And even the state of New York. Send the great revival, Lord. We've waited since 1904, 1905, 1857, 1800, 1740. Do it again. For we pray in your name. Amen.